Remember that old saying, it's better to give than to receive? Yes! Well, give yourself a thrill with the new Home Alone 2 Super Nintendo video game. Also available for your Game Boy and Nintendo Entertainment System. Welcome back, everyone, to Cinemarcade. This is the podcast about movies, video games, and the sparks that fly when those worlds collide. We are closing out our little mini-series. We're closing out our month of Christmas movies, and we're closing out our year of 2023. My gosh, the last recording of the entire year. Uh, and the honor goes to Home Alone 2 Lost in New York. I think that's going to be the perfect way to summarize the chaos that was 2023. Uh, my name is Steve Gunley. Who else is with me today? I'm a bird lady. <laughs> no names, just bird lady. Just yeah, bird lady. Just, just bird, bird lady, lady. J-Ban. She is covered in like slightly more poop than usual today, yes. I will say. Usually you're covered slightly. in poop when you come over here. but yeah. just, I appreciate you uh, sticking to the bit. Uh, who else is here with us today? Uh, hi, I'm Justin. I am covered in tape so that everything that I touch sticks to me so that I can easily steal things. Yeah, I, I, I don't know about that mechanic. I don't know about that gimmick. You know, with the, the Wet Bandits branding was a lot stronger. You know, like we talked about that. You're leaving a calling card. It's like not, oh, it's a way of people knowing. They're not the Wet Bandits anymore. They're the Sticky Bandits. They're the Sticky Bandits. Especially since they end up covered in syrup. It's not a, it's not a good bit necessarily because you're not leaving a calling card or a mark. You're just taking some loose change every once in a while. <laughs> and the rest of the time you're just sticky. Yeah, not as good of a bit. Uh, so Home Alone 2 Lost in New York was released on November 20th, 1992. It was directed by Chris Columbus, written by John Hughes, and it stars Macaulay Culkin, Joe Pesci, Daniel Stern, Catherine O'Hara, John Hurd, Brenda Fricker, Eddie Bracken, Dana Ivey, Rob Schneider, and Tim Curry. Uh, gotta love Tim Curry. I mean, he's that's, so that's good a, in this. He's a great addition to pretty much any film, and uh, I would argue he's pretty much needed here so we for for those listening we are back to backing these episodes we just finished talking about home alone and now we're jumping right into home alone 2 and i think that feels appropriate in its way because this is one of the most redundant like play the greatest hits kind of sequels maybe ever made and I think there's reasons behind it, but as, as just kind of an example of what I'm talking about here, I'm going to describe the beats of this movie and you tell me which movie I'm talking about. All right. Uh, like, all right. So this is uh, uh, it's a busy, a busy Christmas. Kevin has a fight with his family that leaves him feeling embittered. The family sleeps through their alarm. They rush to the airport. Kevin realizes he's alone and is happy because of the prior said rift. Parents realize Kevin is gone and have a freakout. The wet bandits arrive and start laying out their plans and committing small crimes. Kevin starts being excessive. He plans out some clever way to conceal he's alone. He watches a gangster movie that will be used in a later bit. He has to face some frightening consequences of his solitude. He befriends an older person who seemed scary but is actually very wise. He sets a house full of booby traps. The burglars approach it together but split up for simultaneous antics. They dodge paint cans on the stairs. They fall from a great height while on a rope. They seemingly catch up to Kevin. They're about to violently hurt him when the old person shows up out of nowhere to save him. Kevin's mother pulls out all the stops to try and find him. He wishes he can see his mother one more time. She magically appears. The family gets together for a happy ending. Kevin pays respects to his older friend and someone yells at Kevin for a final punch before going to credits. It's the same goddamn movie it's, twice it in a row. It sounds a lot like Paul Blart Mall Cop. But, <laughs> but one's in New York and one's in Chicago. Look, this is the thing I'm going to give. Now to Kevin's this... dealing with New York cops. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The tough guys who are walking here. Um, <laughs> you know, like, I, here's the thing I'm going to, the credit I'm going to give to this movie is that, like, they're in a weird position as far as sequels go, right? Okay, because this is a franchise that is built entirely around one precocious kid. And if you know anything about uh, time and the way it moves in a linear forward direction, you'll know that kids get older. They get less cute as they get older, and you can't really bank the movie on this cute little boy 
if he's like a 16 year old, like a 16 year old being left home alone or being left alone in New York is not really the same kind of vibe. <laughs> it's, 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 it's urban cowboy. It's urban cowboy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's way it's it's way less uh, precarious than it is for a little boy here, you know, and the novelty of like a teenager beating up a bunch of older men is uh, not the same as a 10 year old beating up a bunch of older men. So I understand that that's a position they were in. They had to kind of rush through it. And Chris Columbus is a a director. I've liked a lot of his movies, but he's also a very safe director. You know, he plays things very close. Think about uh, He's the guy who directed the first two Harry Potter movies, right? Those are the ones that are the most, like, slavishly adapted. Like, it's it's nearly word for word uh, from the book to the movie in those films. And it's not until Alfonso Cuaron takes over with the third movie that they start mixing things up a little bit and taking a little bit more creative license. Now, Justin uh, made the choice of taking a hard candy, which you're trying to crunch very quietly into the mic right now. <laughs> I just need to call out your little, like, cat that caught the bird face that you've got going on right now. Uh, right before the last podcast, me and J-Ban both also grabbed uh, taffies and started eating them. Because <laughs> we're professionals. See, I'm, um, I'm, like, I'm like Kevin in the movie. I'm laying booby traps out for you guys. I... Just little verbal booby traps. Look, there are Werther's Originals at the center of this table, and I fucking love Werther's Originals. They're pretty tasty. Uh, so I, I know you're complaining about the similarities, but it feels like a completely different movie because it's in New York and it just feels like it feels lighter, funnier, more comedic. Um, like there's so much, there's more hijinks. It's a little less um, like, it, it's just fun. It's pure popcorn, sugar, uh, f- Maybe I'm hungry because I keep having food. Uh, but uh, it's cotton candy. Do you want to this original? Uh, it's, pure, it's pure chicken rotating in a rotisserie. It's pure giant hot dog. Yeah, no, I understand. Yeah, no, I, I get where you're coming from. And, like, no, look, I, I want to be clear. I don't dislike this movie. I've watched this movie nearly as many times, if not more, as the original. I think it's something I just didn't notice until the the most recent couple of viewings, you know, where, like, I turned my brain on for a moment and kind of like thought about it. It's just like, yeah, this is the same exact movie. Like this is hitting Which every beat. Works. But I will I will grant you that like the New York setting really goes a long way uh, to making this work. I think I, like many uh, rural kids, became a little obsessed with New York City after seeing this movie. Yeah, I, I definitely think that's true. I know I became obsessed with New York City after seeing this movie. Like uh, I had a dream of going into one of those beautiful toy stores that just seemed so like magical and like you could play um and like and it was so there's something really fun about the little like side quest of kevin uh going to the plaza hotel and getting a magnificent hotel room all to himself and getting you know and having um delicious ice cream like made for you by yeah. a, a room service. It's just so much fun. Uh, the first one is has a little bit of wish fulfillment, but ultimately your home, big deal. You know what I mean? Like yeah, you you get to sing in the shower and like uh, you and having also lived in a big family, like it is it is pretty legit when you're like, oh my God, I get to watch what I want to watch without having an extended argument with five people. Yeah, you're not um, jockeying for the remote like to, yeah, <laughs> you can watch your 90210 or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> what makes you think I've watched 90210? I was talking about myself. I don't child. know what you're talking watching about. Card yeah. Captor Sakura. Oh. I don't know what that is. Okay. <laughs> it's an anime. Oh, okay. All right. I believe you. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's just like, it's so enchanting. Like, this is really... It's both wish fulfillment and it's so interesting watching it as an adult because Catherine O'Hara's character is a little bit more laissez-faire about this one. A little bit. Uh, and you're just like, this is more serious. You are you don't know where in the universe your child is. That's the thing. Yeah. Okay, like, again, the, the we talked about in the first movie how it goes to great lengths to alleviate some of the pressure on the parents so that we don't think that they're negligent or bad parents or like we we still need to sympathize with them and understand that this is a horrifying situation for them they seem much more casual this time around and it is a far more dire situation he's not just waiting at home where they can just get back to he is wandering around in the largest city in the world 
uh, completely unsupervised. And, you know, while this movie is very focused on, like, the magic of New York and all that, it does have some moments where it's like, yeah, this is also kind of a scary place sometimes, too. I would argue that that montage is a little exaggerated of like he walks down one street and he gets harassed by like bums and prostitutes and a weird cab driver. And then like, yeah, you know, it, it gets a little exaggerated, but, you know, they they are emphasizing that. And I think the parents come off worse in this one for sure, especially because they should be quadruple times as vigilant about this right yeah. now. Kevin should be on a leash around their neck at some point, like. The fact that he gets sidelined because he stops to dig for batteries out of his dad's uh, luggage is extra ridiculous. But I have to be fair to uh, to Kevin in this instance. That talk boy was fun as hell. You had a talk boy? I had one because it was marketed. It was created as a toy for this movie. Like, and it was, oh. it was the it was the Christmas item that they were. This movie is also much more heavily focused on like product placement and things like that because the first movie was so massive. And so this toy was kind of planted in here, and we definitely had one. Uh, it's this big, bulky tape cassette recorder that you hold on your hand, and you have, like, a slow-mo and, like, a fast-forward feature on it. And uh, we had a lot of fun annoying my dad with it. But, you I, know. I want to clarify that when Kevin uh, gets separated from his family, this time it's not when they're at home. He gets separated at the airport. Yeah. And his parents have to go to the police, and the police have to tell them eventually, like, hey, n nobody in Chicago has seen him at, at presumably O'Hare or yeah. whatever airport. Midway? I don't know why yeah. you fly out of there. But uh, – and then they're like, oh, okay. Well, he's anywhere. Yeah. What is happening here? And, yeah <laughs> – uh, yeah, it's just such a weird and interesting moment of just like, come it's, on, y'all. It, it is that sequel thing where you need to amplify the stakes in some way or another, but the tone doesn't really change with the raising of the stakes. Kevin is just as excited to be alone in this massive city he's never been in before without any contacts or any like resources as he was to be alone. He, that, okay, I, I'll clarify. He has a lot of resources. He has too many 20, resources. So much money, so much credit cards. So much money. and Yeah, oh my God. But He's, this is absolutely the kind of vacation I still like to take. Like yeah. when people say, oh yeah, we're going to go hiking, we're going to go camping. I'm like, no, I want to go to a hotel room. I want to order junk food. I want to be in a city. Like I want to get driven around places. Like that's my idea of a vacation. Uh <laughs> That's Shout out to Uber for making it easier. That's a great idea. Listen, I grew up literally in a cabin in the woods, so my whole perspective is skewed. Like, can... I grew up surrounded by nature and, like, majesty and stuff like that, and I am so bored of it. I'm like, I want to see you, a Panera you Bread. Just go do it down roughly, you know, I could. three miles that way. You, one could argue I'm currently doing that yeah. <laughs> just by living in a city. Um But, yeah, it's it's such an interesting movie to be like, all right, well, now – his mischievousness comes out even more in this movie. Yeah. Where he is now just like he had pulled in the previous movie the uh, come on. Seriously, you think I am here alone? Who would do that? Why would I be here alone buying groceries? Right. When he was there alone buying groceries. And he's like he's pulling that move. He's openly lying to like all of the adults. Yeah. Um, he's trying to set things up to make it look like his dad's here. Um. Well, it's so funny because, like, I feel like the inciting incident in this one <clears throat> versus the other one is more serious because Buzz publicly humiliates him yeah. in front of his entire family, the entire auditorium. I don't know if it's his church or his school, yeah. but school. he, like, he humiliates him during his fucking solo. Yeah, uh, no, and, and he he gives this very like very obviously false apology and i feel like it's one more thing that makes the parents look bad in this movie is that they're not uh picking up the bullshit that buzz is laying well, down like come on not, you guys must be like attorneys or something super wealthy right like, not only are they not picking up the bullshit but then after he gives that apology they then turn to kevin and ask kevin for an apology and i'm like what he has nothing to no, apologize. The kid was getting Kevin, bullied. The only person Kevin owes an apology is that piano player. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. She got a little messed up. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But you know, he didn't intend to do any of that. He was justifiably angry. 
Yeah, so it, it does feel a little sweatier that they need to get to that same point as they did in the first movie. And, you know, like, the movie keeps... It's one of the things that annoys me about, like, really similar sequels. I think The Hangover 2 does this really bad, too, where it's functionally hitting all the same beats and the characters keep commenting on it. Like, there's a, when they get up from being late for sleeping in, they have, they have to yell, We did it again! Or, you know, Catherine O'Hara says, last year we had a problem that started just like this. It's like, yeah, I noticed that. <laughs> yes, it's starting the same way. And again, and it, look, I'm sympathetic. Look at where Macaulay Culkin is in his career at this point. He got $100,000 for the first movie, which is not insignificant for a kid, but it's also like for the lead of a movie that feels a little low. He got $5 million for this movie. Oh, hell yeah. Plus, he gets, like, something crazy, like 20% of the gross residuals on this movie. Like, Jesus. Forever. So Who negotiated that deal? Yeah, you know, he was in the position to negotiate. Like, he could have walked away from the table, and they would have been screwed. Because that first movie was such a lightning-in-a-bottle kind of hit, and it was all contingent on how, this kid not going through puberty yet. How good did this do in the box office? It didn't do quite as well, but it was still a huge hit. Like, I think it still made, like, $200 million. You know, it, it was still very, very successful. Whoever his manager or agent is, as long as they're not terrible people, man. They... Oh, they're terrible people. It's oh, his dad. Uh, his dad, oh, Kid Oh, his dad? Oh. Who, who uh, McCulloch okay. claimed was abusive to him and oh, his no. siblings. And, like, it's, he's not a good guy. Uh, okay. You know, well, so, like. Less yeah, props and... to him, then. McCulloch Culkin, in a very weird position, this is arguably the height of his, like, title like name above the marquee like movie stardom you know so there's a lot of extra scrutiny on him right now uh both because of like some of the details about his family life is starting to get out and also he's got this very weird relationship with michael jackson at this time that's kind of raising a lot of eyebrows they're they're two of the biggest celebrities in the world and you know they're they're close he spent a lot of time over at neverland ranch and he he claims that nothing ever happened um between the two of them in that way but it was raising eyebrows because news stories were starting to come out about how close that jackson was with some of these kids and uh you know so there's there's it's one of those things but yeah so it's no surprise that colkin was getting kind of burnt out you know like we said richie rich in 1994 is kind of his last go and by 1994 his voice is already changing and everything like that so there's no more home alone in the future for him there are still more Home Alone movies after this, though. So yeah, Home Alone 3 uh, came out in 1997. That's directed by this film's editor, Raja Gosnell, and it stars a totally different kid. It's a kid named Alex D. Linz, who didn't really have the career. And this movie kind of came and went. I don't think it was a success at the box office. I think you only remember it now because it's like, you know, oh, hey, is that Scarlett Johansson as the older sister? Like, you know, it's one of those movies. Um and it's like four burglars and they're all like Russian super scientists or something. Like it's it's weird. Like it's not as bad as you might think it is, but it's also just not of the same caliber. And then there were two more direct to video Home Alone sequels with some anonymous kid that came out with diminishing returns. And then just last year there was a new Home Alone movie on Disney Plus that nobody paid attention to. And we're in an era when people are so thirsty for Christmas movies, like we have this new Home Alone with Ellie Kemper in it playing the burglar, and it's like nobody saw that thing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, it is one of those franchises where they had to strike while the iron is hot. Um, and But uh, I, one of the things that's complicated this movie's legacy in a lot of interesting ways is a one-scene cameo oh. uh, that uh, has become a little infamous due to recent historical events. Oh, so, Donnie. Yeah, Donald Trump... Uh, owner of the plaza hotel at this time and uh, that's where they they needed to shoot the movie and his stipulation for anything that's shot on a trump property is that he has the right to make a cameo in the film uh so he executed that right and uh gave some instructions and it still makes my skin crawl every time i see it yes um and it's uh, so let's talk to instead of a piece of shit yeah uh, <laughs> let's um Let's switch hands and talk to a gem, Tim Curry. Tim Curry, an absolute delight. That's another one of the new elements that this movie adds that I really appreciate. He's got a staff of kind of, they're not wet bandit level uh, threats, but they are an obstacle. And they're one more kind of challenge that he needs to overcome. 
So Tim Curry is playing the snooty concierge at the uh, plaza, and he's joined by a very young Rob Schneider playing the greedy bellboy. And so he's kind of the obstacle, like figuring out that this kid's not everything he says he is and that he might be taking advantage. And just every line reading that Tim Curry gives is so funny. It's so funny. He acts, uh, there's this line uh, about the Muppet Christmas Carol, and I'm going to ruin it, but it's uh, basically when uh, uh, Michael Caine treated the Muppets like actors and then uh, Tim Curry treated himself as a Muppet. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's the perfect comparison because yeah, he's, he, he's able to lock into that. And Tim Curry comes up so often on this show just because anytime I'm doing like research into like different uh, characters, like alternate castings and everything like that, it feels like he's always somebody's first choice mm-hmm. and he never really takes the part. Like he was first choice for the Joker and then when he passed on that, he was first choice for the Riddler. And then when he passed on that, he was like the Penguin. It's like they were really trying to get him into a Batman for a while. You know, and he's always kind of floated as a villain. And then everyone always decides every time he plays a villain, he's too scary. Yeah. You know, it's, well, he, it's in the it's, Pennywise, it's yeah, a Pennywise, Pennywise syndrome. Yeah. Yeah. But he's he's so much fun in this movie. It is a shame he kind of drops out of the film around the midway point. Um, but There's this moment in it that I just love where Catherine O'Hara slap. It's towards the end. Catherine O'Hara slaps him and he's all like, well, bundle up. Uh, <laughs> it's cold out there. Uh, and his lip trembles like he's about to cry. And I'm yeah. just like, this is the best. It's just like it's just it's so good. Uh, and what he's also like when he like, what is he doing? Sneaking into a hotel room? Like, yeah. Talk about nosy yeah i kept getting white lotus vibes i don't yeah. know if you watch white lotus. i, I watched like, the first season of white it's lotus, like oh this yeah. isn't gonna go well for this guy yeah uh but i i always think of his reaction when uh they're they they pull the angels with filthy souls a, a bit again and it's nowhere near as funny this time it's much sweatier but they do have a line where like you were here and you was smooching with my brother and yeah. the, this the noise that tim curry makes this weird kind of like snort laugh thing yeah. like is always so funny to me i'm just like i don't know where he got that one but uh that is probably the biggest uh, laugh of the movie. It's like, uh, you've been smooching with everybody. Cliff. Like, Cliff, they, Cliff. Cliff is secure. Guy. No, it's a lie. Yeah. That's that's one of the better uh, gags. Yeah. I just... It, yeah. Tim Curry is great. Um, he... Fun fact. Uh, when they were doing the Clone Wars series on Cartoon Network... Yeah. Um, they had like a weird thing where the first few seasons was a guy that I'm not very familiar with. And then they're like, all right, Tim Curry's just going to be Palpatine for a little while. And then after that, Ian McDermott did like the final season. Okay. But uh, so Tim Curry was also Palpatine. I mean, he he was one of those guys who just kind of game to do whatever. You know? Yeah. But, so it was weird that they, I think it was usually the studio kind of vetoing him as like a major villain just because he was never, he never really had that super huge movie star status, but he was always fun to watch. We're saying, yeah. We're saying, or what? listen he's, to. He's still with us. He he has been retired for a long time because he's got pretty severe. Um, he had a stroke and uh, was is in a wheelchair, but um, he he is still with us. Um, but yeah, I think I think that's a fun element that this movie adds. Uh, we have to talk about the wet bandits a little bit because. They just show up in New York. They just show up in New York. I mean, we again talk about the sweatiest coincidence that we need. It's, uh, it guys, seems a little uh, this is fishy, doesn't me. it? Well, yes. Speaking of fish, I thought it was so funny. Like they're showing off New York. This New York is beautiful. And, like a child decides to go to the New York fish market. Yeah, because clearly that's uh, that's on the agenda for any child. That's the cool place. You want to get some good uh, fresh salmon, you yeah. know. Yeah, just maybe could, some shrimp. Just carry uh, it around with you. I mean, he could use it for a prank later. But yeah, I mean, if you can get over that unbelievable coincidence of them like coming to the one place in the world where this kid just happens to be, you know, it's it, it it strains credulity. But if you can get past that, these burglars are going. We we were talking. Okay, so this is kind of picking up a thread from the uh, the first episode where I said that. Uh, the burglars in the first movie actually still feel menacing, mm-hmm. where in this one they are just cartoon characters. Yeah, and I, that, I, that is kind of. The I case. still stand by that, especially with Marv. Daniel Stern, bless his heart, is going so big from moment one. Like he's he is very cartoony. You could make the argument that maybe they both sustained a lot of head trauma from the first movie, uh, which would be at, true. There's this part where he's all like, uh, "Don't you remember?" I don't no. remember. No, no, I don't remember. 
Yeah, they they probably have sustained a lot of damage, but <laughs> they they are both just like mugging to the camera and going real real goofy with it. Uh, real ham, as you could say. They They're could going be real ham. ham, but very sinister hams because they threaten. They out say, "I'm gonna murder him." Andy, but, they have a gun this okay. time. But see, I'm gonna argue that that gun is about as threatening as when Wiley e. Coyote has a gun. You know, like it doesn't feel like an actual legitimate. Well, okay, threat. because he pulls it out covered in. In like varnish or whatever, but, like, but even before then, it's just like these guys are not gonna kill a kid. And, you know, you never it's, really feel that. The, you don't feel that because not because you think that they're not capable of doing it like emotionally, but because they're not capable of pulling it off. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's. Before we get to the uh, booby trap extravaganza, I want to talk about the the subplot where he befriends an older uh, bird lady in the park. I yeah. loved that subplot as a child. Yeah. I loved that subplot so much. It was like so her cute. going to like the the orchestra having this sort of secret like hidden like uh tete a tete with like this this magical thing of being in like the the gods of like the the orchestra I yeah. just, like, was so magical. Look, I love Brenda Fricker, the, this actress. Uh, she was fresh off an Oscar win for My Left Foot. She plays Daniel Day-Lewis's mom in that. Like, My she's Left Foot? Great movie, yeah. yeah. It's literally about a, a uh, Irish painter who is completely paralyzed except for his foot. Oh. And so Daniel Day-Lewis did this incredible physical transformation for that movie to do all the painting with his one foot. It's, it's a pretty incredible movie. But yeah, she's great in that. She's great in like, so I married an axe murderer, things like mm -hmm. that. Like a lot of fun. And I think she's great here. But forgive me if this is insensitive or rude, but I watched this scene this time and I just kept thinking like, I don't want kids to watch this and get the impression that they should go up and talk to strangers in the park and then follow them to a second location. <laughs> like yeah, it happened true. to work out this time that she's just like a delicate, beautiful soul who just is lonely. <laughs> But uh, I don't know. I just want to make sure parents out there, you're not letting your kids just wander in the park and go home with people. <laughs> I just kept thinking of how badly that could go. And it, it kind of took me out of things a little bit. Yeah. Maybe yeah. that's cynical. I don't know. Look, I mean, I've walked around downtown in Austin. I have met people that are chill and I've met people that aren't. Yeah. No, for sure. For sure. You know, and it's not trying to disparage or be uh, insensitive, but Again, this feels a bit like a, a rehash of the partnering with an old man thing. All right, I'm joining the hard candy. Club. <laughs> I'm joining it. Fuck it. We're going Jay in. J-Ben has just been slowly unraveling one of them. We're going all in on this. Yeah, I'm just doing it. I don't think it's wise. I'm getting another one. I don't think it's wise that you put a bowl of hard candy in between our three microphones. I probably shouldn't have baited you guys like it's that. It's immediately between the three microphones. Wait, am I brain? Where's my... How do I... Uh oh, we're getting stymied by by these rappers now. You gotta be smarter than the candy. Uh, That's the trick. But it's okay. So I I don't know. Like I, for me, it's pure magic because like uh, like in Mary Poppins, you have the Bird Woman. That's like there's there's like this childhood thing of a, like like of gentle curiosity about people who live on the street that like you know that they're not as scary as you think. And like in most homeless people are. Um, you know, more likely to be victims of crime than um, anybody else. Yeah. But it's just like, I don't know, this, this she's such a beautiful character in this. Uh, and she's so gentle and kind and welcoming when, and when Kevin is so fucking screwed because he thinks that he's committed, well, he did, did commit, commit credit card fraud. Yeah. And he's on the run, and he lost all his money, and he lost all his credit cards, and um, he's in this big, giant city all alone, and she befriends him, and it's just beautiful. No, I, I, I think within the context of the story, I think they pull it off, you know, and it's, it is a very nice moment where, like, I believe that is actually John Williams conducting the orchestra during that scene. Oh, like, oh I wow. think you actually see him. I think that's him with uh, his, his orchestra. I could be wrong about that, but... You know, you get that nice moment. You get a little bit of, like, Kevin being uh, wise beyond his years, which is more of a thing this time around. Like, mm -hmm. all of his conversations are much more confident. Like, when he's talking to Eddie Bracken as the uh, toy store owner, you know, he's the same way. He's got, like, a very kind of mature attitude about everything. Um, which leads us to the final confrontation with the Wet Bandits. So they <laughs> are interested in robbing this toy store on Christmas Eve. Which So that gives Kevin a nice hero arc here. Kevin has access to a 
townhouse that his aunt and uncle are remodeling. So it's in total disrepair and it's full of construction equipment. Now, this is a sequel. You need to amplify everything. You need to bump everything up to the next level. <laughs> they do there that successfully. Were there, I don't know if you remember this, J-Ban. There were a lot of like parents groups complaining about the first movie and how violent it was. And you have to appreciate that this movie's like, um, hold my beer <laughs> because we are going to kill these sons of bitches. Like, so the we we talked last episode about like what do you think the first trap is that would actually kill somebody? And this one it's the first one. Yeah. It is that brick. Okay. One brick falling from that height would kill you. Marv takes four in a row in the mm -hmm. head, and I can't help but wince at that. Like, that's the first salvo. That's the first attack, is those four goddamn bricks. Well, and there's no reason for him to do this. Mm -hmm. He sees them in the thing. He could have called the cops to be like, the white bandits are or breaking in and then break the window. Um, I hope that he calls them and just says that. like, the wet bandits are breaking in and then hangs up. <laughs> like, what? Okay, thanks. Yeah. But the, the violence is completely optional in this. Yeah. Um, and it's so interesting. Um, like, the, the, they really up the stakes and then, like, the, the traps are so dangerous. <laughs> I mean, I would, I'm worried about Kevin handling these traps. Like, he fills a toilet with kerosene. And also, like, his whole plan was involving getting this man to dunk his head into this toilet. Like, I mean, he's first of all, he's setting his head on fire, which is already, like, fucked up. And then, like, he's just uh, contrived this entire plan that requires this man to stick his head in the toilet. Well, and he was doing it all before YouTube. Yeah. Uh, like, draining the, uh, draining the toilet before... Like, all of these things, it's just, like, it stretches the bounds of credulity. Oh, yeah. The thing about the first one that was really, like, um, I liked him using micro-machines to trip up the bandits. I like him using um, Christmas ornaments to cut up the feet. Like, there's, um, I still really like this. I really think it's a really great set piece, but it is so violent and so. Um, but I'm like, I'm, I don't have a problem with the violence. I watch violent things all the time. Um, what I think is um, interesting is the fact that it's like this construction place um, work site yeah. drama. Yeah. No, I missed the the kind of whimsy of him using like kid stuff to set these traps and then you have that dynamic of like they're really being foiled by a little boy this time it just feels like a violent sociopath with access to nail guns and staple guns and electric generators like he's uh, so many ways that these men were gonna i die. thought it was interesting when they chose to make marv like his hair explode and then like it'd be him just be a skeleton yeah I'm like dude that would kill him yeah yeah no absolutely and like He's mugging so hard. He's like doing like scales and everything with his screaming and everything, uh, you know, to, to help alleviate some of that. But uh, there comes a point. It's kind of like the nail in the foot in the first movie. There comes a point when something like is so violent and so upsetting that you can't really get past it. And like there's a, a couple of things in that. Oh, I like I don't I can get past it. Like I don't none of it. It's upsetting to me. Uh, even as an adult, I still but I do think like so at a moment I was like, for a second, I was taking out of it, and I was like, "Oh my God, Kevin, you could have killed that man." Yeah, um, and he's taking delight in this. Yeah, Kevin doesn't seem to give a fuck about whether or not he kills them. <laughs> no, I think the I think Macaulay Culkin did like a funnier dive. He did. Does this sound familiar? Like where he he is like like a, a growing up serial killer now. You know, like <laughs> he, he just likes he's, he's kind of like a saw kind of situation where like he Macaulay Culkin came back and did the skit or something, and it's just like a monster. Um, because that's kind of what he's evolving into at this point—a very, very yeah. privileged, young, angelic-looking boy. And look, I saw the good son. I know what he's capable of. You know? <laughs> he's a terrifying little child. Um, yeah. So I mean, this this segment is still fun. It still kind of works, but it, it there, there's a. I think I just I, I have a hard time getting past the bricks. And I have a hard time getting past like the staples to the I, face and the crotch, like you know. I think the hard, the only thing I have a hard time getting past is when they pull a gun. Mm -hmm. Like I just really wished that they had it pulled a gun. Yeah, and I I do worry about those pigeons at the end too because she, 
they're at this point they're both covered in like varnish and paint and everything like that. They're they're all gooped up. And all gooped up. She throws, she saves, like in the first movie, the old person needs to come out of nowhere to save Kevin from actual peril. And she does it by throwing birdseed all over them, and her pigeons are coming in and eating the birdseed off of them. They're just eating a lot of varnish. Uh, so I have a, a question for y'all. Okay. Marv or Harry, who do you think's uh, my MVP of the, of the movie? You know what? I, I'm going to give it to Daniel Stern because he is going for it like so hard whereas i think pesci is like he's you can tell he's still like having fun and he's settling mm-hmm. into the character that he's built but he's still trying to ground that character slightly more yeah and uh, daniel stern is just kind of like yeah whatever i'm i'm unhinged mm-hmm. now like i'm just i'm a full-on like roger rabbit like bouncing around <laughs> let's kill this fucking kid yeah yeah no he's he's not afraid to like mug and go real goofy like yeah, Daniel Stern had a weird kind of almost little attempted movie star run after this. Like, mm-hmm. he starred in a movie called Bushwhacked, which is a, like a camp counselor movie or something. It was weird because in that same year, you got Bushwhacked and you got Camp Nowhere. One of them stars Daniel Stern. The other stars Christopher Lloyd. Oh. Both both attempts to make oh, these guys like solo movie stars, and they're both kind of camping movies with lots of slapstick elements. Yeah, Weird, weird trend. Um, would you say the humor was campy? I would say that. I would say that. I think Marv is the star of the comedic uh, slapstick. Yeah. Um, I think Joe Pesci is so... Um, I feel like he's angrier and a little bit more menacing in the yeah. first time alone. Yeah. Well, you know the bit about... Uh, we didn't mention in the first episode, but like Joe Pesci had a hard time not swearing. You know, like it just kind of slipped out of him. So he invented this kind of nonsense language that he uses in both of these movies. Like that was his substitute because he kept swearing and he was worried about saying fuck in front of like an eight year old Macaulay Culkin. So, you know, and that's that's kind of fun. And I like that he found that character beat and really sticks with it. As somebody who is very concerned about uh, slipping up and saying fuck to a child, Mm. uh, I get it. Yeah, I get it. Hey, it happens, you know, but. Yeah, I, I, I appreciate both of what they bring to the table here. Um, you know, like, ultimately, I think this movie is pretty harmless. Like, I have criticisms and I have complaints about it. It does not hold up for me as well as the first movie. And I always just get a little frustrated when sequels play it so, so safe, you know, and just kind of deliver the same thing that you liked the first time around. You know? I think so. I think the first one is a Christmas classic. Mm-hmm. And I think the second one is a child's classic because the child, the wish fulfillment of being in New York City, it, like fulfills so much more um of a child's imagination. Yeah. Going yeah. to a big toy story or oh. a big toy store. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I've. I've never been to, like, a toy store. Really? Yeah. Not even, like, a Toys R Us or anything like that? I mean, maybe, like, once. It's been a Um, while. Yeah. I mean... But, like, as a kid, like, we didn't have anything like that. We were we were getting toys at, like, Farm and Fleet and Menards and Walmart. Okay. That was, like, our options to go shopping. Um... I mean, I feel and like so, that's kind of the vibe now, right? Like, it's if if you're going to yeah. go to a toy department in a store, yeah. not so much like, you know, we used, I don't know if Toys R Us is even like a huge chain anymore, but it used to be like these big box stores, like a Walmart-sized store that's nothing but toys. And Didn't Toys, which one died? Toys R Us died and then came back. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> Who's the necromancer behind that one? And that's why we celebrate Christmas every year. Huh? <laughs> That's the true meaning. The the return of Jeffrey the giraffe from the grave. Um, I guess that would be more Easter. But yeah. I like that one. I like that. Um, Well, I mean, we might be coming up on a pretty short episode because uh, I think it's time to talk about the game a little bit. And uh, there's not a lot to talk about with this game, I have to say. Uh, Home Alone 2, again, similar to the first game, is released between 92 and 93. It was developed by Imagineering, published by THQ, and uh, available on the NES, the SNES, Genesis, Game Boy, and DOS. And, uh, yeah, like, whereas the first movie, or the first game, like the NES game that we played that is trying to mimic a specific moment from the movie, I think this one is just trying to be a side-scrolling platformer. Like, this one is not very interested in verisimilitude. It's not really trying to... 
hit these same notes. Case in point, you're getting attacked by luggage in this game. Lots you're getting of, attacked by luggage that just slides. <clears throat> yeah, lots of suitcases, lots of duffel bags <clears throat> jumping around trying to attack you. Like, you know, it's just it's just kind of typical platforming stuff. The and I don't know if that's better or worse. Are hotel workers, <clears throat> maids, concierges, like people like bellhops? People probably working like normal jobs that they don't get paid enough for like yeah and, and now this privileged little kid is just running around shooting them with a slingshot except you don't have a slingshot in this one right you have a little dart gun right yeah i didn't, oh, yeah, I I didn't so. find you, that you can find it like <clears throat> excuse me the the weird thing about this game is that you're running through like it's actually set in locations from the movie so like you are in the plaza hotel for this first bit but you run around and you just like hit random spots on the wall and like a piece of pizza will fall out or just like a Which, bunch of coins will erupt out of a couch. Cushion, and it's not like know? it's a marked piece of the wall. At least I didn't notice a mark. No, it just kind of happened. And I was like, oh, there's pizza. Hello. Yeah. You're just hitting some invisible box and it's like giving God, you a slice of pizza that you'll just eat it out of the wall. Look, I would eat wall pizza right now. You would eat wall pizza. You, I would eat wall you're pizza. You're going on the Castlevania diet. You're just going to eat like turkey legs <laughs> that you find in a rock. Yeah. 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 Just Is that a, not what you base your life around? Eat a, eat a salad that you punch out of an oil drum, you know? That's, oh, that's those are the best because they already come with dressing on them. That's oil. Yeah. Yeah. That's just motor it's oil. It's good. Yeah. Man, it's good I mean, technically, oil. oil. it's like olive oil. Yeah. Oil. Same it's oil in the name. Um, so, I mean, I don't know. How did you guys feel about this approach compared to the uh, the attempt to be a little bit more original? Um, I liked this game in the sense that it had the actual actors, except for it didn't have Tim Curry. No. But it had uh, Joe Pesci and um, the guy who played Marv. Game of um, And it definitely was trying to stick close to the movie. And the animation was pretty good. Um, I think it was... Um, not exciting. No. Um, yeah. Right. I thought it was more functional than the other two games that we played for Home Alone. Yeah. And to, it, it looks and plays pretty similar to the SNES game from uh, Home Alone 1. Yeah. Uh, with, obviously, the, a little bit more of that focus towards platforming. But I, I still think it's like a, it's still a little too clunky and not well thought out. Um, like, there's some... The the lady, one of the like the, there was a cleaning lady. Yeah, I don't think I I don't think you can get past that one without just taking the hit. Unless you have the dart gun. Yeah, I mean, th- similarly, maybe I was supposed to have the dart gun at that point, and that's why I fucked up. But I went dart gunless. And similarly to the Super NES Home Alone one that we played, like this is using the same engine as Bart versus the Space Mutants from the NES, and you can really feel it in this one. Like there, even some of the enemies are bouncing up and down in the same patterns as they did in that game uh it, it is it does take you out of it that you're like you're not fighting people you're fighting like sentient luggage that is jumping out of elevators to attack occasionally you. there is people occasionally but... there's people but like yeah not they're not the big threat the big threat is luggage and mops you know <laughs> yeah oh the fucking mops my fucking mops oh once i figured out once i saw what they did i was like oh i got, I got this Yes, yeah, I did not. I, I'll, ever I got get these the jumps. Rhythm on the mops quite right. I did the thing where you just take the damage and try yeah. to get through the other one fast. Enough that's before that's you what start I did blinking. with the cleaning lady. Yeah, I was like, I'm just gonna walk through you and yeah. take it a hit. Um, you know, so I, it's yeah, it's just a not very inspired game at yeah. all. Like similarly to the movie, it's playing it very very safe and uh, just kind of delivering the the bare minimum sort of experience. And it, it does something that. A lot of games from this era do, and I don't know if it's because they were relying very heavily on it coming with, like, a book or a manual. Yeah. And then having most of the explanation in there. But there's not really, like, enough motivation to, like, make you care about what's happening. Um, You're just like, all right, I'm uh, Lil' Kevin. Yeah. Lil' K walking around. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is frustrating that traps just don't play a role in this game at Mm -hmm. all. Yeah, like, because I feel like that's the juice that Home Alone's got. You know, it's got those booby traps, and like, for all of its flaws, and I still think it is a worse game overall. But the uh, I keep going back to the NES original one, which is trying something, and yeah. I cal- couldn't help but feeling like I wish that they'd refined that idea with this game, which has better yeah. graphics and more powerful like processing. Refine that idea a little bit. Like, there's some juice to that. 
Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that would have been great. Instead, we get a worse platformer than uh, fucking... It'll come to me. It's mm. there. But, One uh, of the ones we played? Wayne's World. Oh, Wayne's World. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Hard to say. Hard to say. Wayne's hard World was... Yeah, no, I, th- yeah, I think this might be worse than Wayne's yeah. World. Yeah, a little yeah. Like, I think the, the, the backgrounds and, like, the design of the the levels is a little better. Yeah. Um, and the fact that it's actually, like, clearly different stuff. Um, but the actual gameplay is worse. Yeah. No, just it, just a, not a terribly interesting game. I feel bad that we're kind of giving it short shrift, but, like, genuinely not a whole lot to say about this. We only played it on the Super NES but unlike with the first game, like the versions are all pretty similar across every platform. It's just a matter of graphical fidelity. Yeah. They didn't even get a swing in there. No, we oh. got no swings. No swings. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, do we have anything else to say about Home Alone 2 before we uh, wrap up for the year? Watch it. Watch it. It's, <laughs> it holds up. Go play with birds. Also, uh, birds uh, are really smart and cool, uh, although I joke about hating them a lot, and I do so dislike some birds. Uh, if- they know what they did. <laughs> it was so funny. We watched The, the Boy and the Heron. Yeah. And- <laughs> a movie sp- specifically about. parakeets. Yeah, a movie specifically about how much birds suck. Like, fuck you, birds. Yeah. yeah. Look, I've uh, some birds suck. Uh, some don't. But, like, if the birds like a person... That's probably a good sign. If the birds hate a person, that's a real big flag. <laughs> See, I'm going to dispute that because birds have hated me in the past. It's because I have curly hair that looks like a nest. And so sometimes they'll dive that's bomb me. That's not hating it. They'll dive bomb me. That's liking it. I don't know. But I like, think they're trying to harvest it's me. It's the thing with like, uh, like crows and other birds of similar intelligence of where it's like, they will pick up on people who are dicks and people who aren't dicks. Yeah. And they will hold grudges. I like most birds, except for Aberdonian seagulls. <laughs> That's very specific. Okay. They're very big, very smart, malevolent bitches. Okay. These the- are specifically just seagulls in Aberdeen, Scotland? Aberdeen, Scotland. Okay. Yes. okay. This is the opposite of my least favorite bird, the pigeon. Which is just dumb as fuck. No, pigeons are adorable. Pigeons are war heroes. Yeah. But, look, uh, my experience with pigeons is that they like to make nests near my windows, uh, but not on my properties uh, or, like, my apartment or with the house that we're renting, anything like that. They just like to hang out nearby and annoy me. Okay. With their cooing. Well, that's adorable. Their cooing is adorable. You wait till you meet an Aberdonian seagull, Justin. <laughs> the day will come. The day will come. Where are those at? Aberdeen, Scotland. All right. Well, all I'm right. sorry to spring this on you, but I have a surprise guest. A flock of Aberdonian <laughs> seagulls, oh my God. ladies and gentlemen. No. Um, all right. Well, let's move on to our rankings of this movie. Is it a good movie, good game, bad movie, bad game, or some mixture in between? J-Ben, how about you? What you got? Uh, good movie and a functional game. Okay, yeah, I think that about covers it, yeah. <laughs> You're taking the thunder out of me doing that. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was a good movie, uh, subpar game. Uh, the game works. Um, it's not as clunky as the others do, but it's just not much. I or, uh, I might have to go bad movie, bad game. Ooh. I might have to go bad movie, bad game. I think it's... No, I'm going to be... It's yeah, definitely gonna, a fun movie. I'm going to go good movie. I'm going to go good movie. It, it's so borderline for me, though, because, I, I don't know, there are just so many things about it that You hold that a grudge me. about similarities. It, it's not even that. It's it's not the similarities. It's the laziness. It's the fact that they had no interest in, like, furthering any kind of arc or, or establishing anything. It's just play the hits again. Um, but, you know... They, they, play the they, hits they, again, but hit harder. They threw in Tim Curry, and the movie really moves, and it's pretty watchable like the first movie. So I'm going to say a marginal good movie and a pretty bad game. A mediocre game. Uh, well, that closes out our month of holiday movies and our entire year of 2023. Uh, I just want to thank everybody for listening. I want to thank the two of you for doing this show with Huzzah! me. It's been yeah. so much fun, and I hope people are going to continue listening to the new year. We're going to be kicking off 
with a Justin's Choice because that got a little sidelined. Uh, J-Band's Choice wound up uh, segueing <laughs> into an Aliens miniseries. <laughs> and then we had a whole holiday series. So you've been very patient. And I'm very curious about what you've chosen for us to play yeah. as the first game in the uh, new year. I just want to like t- add on to that of like, yeah, thank you all for listening. Uh, I was uh, pretty sure that there was only going to be like five people listening. And I was told that that was not quite correct. No. And I was like, oh, dang, people do listen to us. Yeah, so thank absolutely. you. Um, yeah. Uh, however, opening up the new year is an interesting, it's a movie that I enjoyed and I'll, I'm interesting to see how it holds up because I haven't seen it in like a decade, Ooh, okay. but it is the Thomas Jane Punisher. Oh, oh, good choice. I'm excited to play that game again. Okay. I did play. <laughs> Look, that's a game. That's, that game is messed up. <laughs> yeah. I played that game when I was a kid. That's going to be an interesting <laughs> one. Okay. So we are going to be talking be... about the Punisher from 2004, I believe. 2005, yeah, I think so. somewhere around there. Uh, it was a movie and a game I have not revisited since about that time. So yeah. I'm excited to. That, that's I, an interesting. I that's the I last choice the I would have expected. Again. In like 2013, 14, somewhere around okay. there. But it's All been right. like a decade since I've seen bit. the movie. Haven't played the game in forever. So it'll be really interesting to see how both of them hold up to what I remember. Well, I'm excited. That's a great choice. That's really cool. Um, uh, I did not see that one coming, and I'm excited to dig into it. Also, if anybody, and I'll probably mention this again, if anybody likes The Punisher, the, they did a really decent job with the Dare, uh, the uh, Netflix Daredevil and uh, Punisher series. So. Okay, see, I never got around to that one. Yeah, yeah. I like John Bernthal. I loved John Bernthal Daredevil so fucking so much. Uh, and some of, uh, Justin, you know about the Daredevil thing. Right. Which thing? Uh, so I recognized Daredevil stunt doubles, but from oh America. yes, <laughs> from what? And I was like, so I was watching Daredevil one day, and I was like, I fucking love Daredevil, and Daredevil stunt double has the best butt in the universe, and I was like, I know that butt, and it, and I, I was like, and I looked it up, and the same uh, stunt actor is the same stunt actor for Captain America as for Daredevil, and so hence the per- the America's ass America's belongs ass. to a stunt double. It does not belong. To Chris Evans. Oh my God, that's amazing to know. I just <laughs> built a Lego that has America's ass on it. Like, yeah, it's, it's over there. It's, so. it's weird. It's prominent. It's prominent. It's... That's this is this is some great like butt knowledge that I didn't know that I needed to know. Um, and I hope that'll be a, a suitable note to close the year out on. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Have a very happy new year. We will see you yeah. in 2024. Enjoy. This will come out after Christmas. Uh, yes, this will be so, the last one. So uh, yeah. hopefully you all had a good Christmas and enjoy the rest of the New Year's uh, time off that you hopefully get. All right. Keep the change, you filthy animals. We'll see you <laughs> <in there. laughs>